0: Welcome to another exciting episode of Open Swim with your hosts, Hallie Bram Kogelshotz,
1: Eric Kogelshotz, Brian Andrew Jasinski,
2: Jennifer Cho Salif, and Alexis Amato. Ooh, what new voice on the podcast. Who is that? Oh, <laughs> well,
0: Alexis, I'll have you know, is our brand new marketing coordinator. Welcome, Alexis. Thanks. Yay. I shouldn't really say brand new because actually she's been here a few months, but this is her first time on the podcast. So even though we refer to her internally as a salty veteran, she is a newbie when it comes to her on-air persona. So lucky you listening into our podcast um, because you're in for a treat. So today we're talking a little bit about something that I think over the last year, we tend to talk about kind of inf- kind of frequently internally here at Shark and Minnow um, because of different interests that all of us have on the team. We're talking about what we sort of refer to as a disposable culture. And even though we talk about it internally, it was something that we hadn't seen as widely reported in the media until the last few months. And ironically, we had started talking about doing this podcast, and National Geographic came out with their cover, which has really captured the popular consciousness online. A lot of people are talking about this cover. Um, And Jen, maybe you want to talk to us about what it is. Um, You know, we'll probably feature a link to this on our blog. Um, But Jen, talk to the audience at home who may not be able to see what we're looking at.
2: Yeah, so this is the National Geographic June 2018 cover. You're probably looking it up online right now. So the, it's a photo illustration created by Mexican artist Jorge Gamboa. And, I mean, it's blowing up the Internet. It's, it's going viral. It's a piece he actually did, um, I want to say last year, um, I think an art exhibition in Bolivia. But it's called Iceberg Plástico. And it's basically, um, it looks like an iceberg from afar, but when you get close up and you look at it, you realize it's a floating plastic grocery bag captured the zeitgeist of how people are feeling about the environment so I I think it appeared in my consciousness when I watched a vice documentary called garbage island an ocean full of plastic and this is a three-part series you guys can see it on YouTube I think they ran it five or six years ago Um, but they basically sent vice reporters out into what's called the great pacific garbage patch or the Pacific Garbage Gyre, and it's basically this floating island of garbage the size of Texas. I feel like this National Geographic cover is a great jumping off point to have these conversations about these garbage patches, and the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is just one of five of these garbage patches that are floating in the ocean, so it's pretty disgusting if you think about it. But, um, so National Geographic is kicking off this initiative they're calling Planet or Plastics. It's this campaign uh, where they wanna bring about awareness about the global plastics crisis. And this particular issue is edited by a retired sailor. Her name is Ellen MacArthur. Some really interesting things, you know, they're really practicing what they're preaching um, at National Geographic. And starting with this this issue, they'll be wrapping their magazines in paper and not Mm. plastic, which Hmm. is super awesome. And they say it will save 2.5 million single-use plastic bags each month. That's amazing. Which is incredible.
0: It's like really vile to think about that there's this huge garbage patch out there. But I really don't know that much about it. Jen, can you tell us a little bit more about what you found in your research?
2: Yeah, so like I said, there's five of these trash collections in the ocean. This one's the biggest one. And it's between Hawaii and California and What makes it interesting is basically between, you know, Asia and North America, the ocean currents kind of go in this circle, this circular pattern. And so all the plastic and trash gets caught in this, in this gyre. But it doesn't Um, stay there, right? Like,
0: isn't that the whole thing that it starts getting into the water itself?
2: It, yeah, but it is accumulating because of the currents. Mm. So if you think about the currents going in this circular direction and all the trash is just kind of getting. So this is something that just together. naturally happens. Correct.
1: This wasn't, you know. They didn't put a garbage dump uh, out right, there. Right, right. Yeah. Wow.
2: According to researchers, it's the size of Texas, um, it weighs 88,000 tons, which is the equivalent of 550 jumbo jets and there's anywhere between 1.1 and 2.4 million tons of plastic that's entering the ocean each year from rivers and going into places like these these garbage patches. And then this one, the Great Pacific Great Pacific Garbage Patch covers an estimated surface area of 1.1 million square kilometers, that's 618,000 square miles. And what's really interesting is there's this organization called the Ocean Cleanup Foundation, and it was founded in 2013. And their whole mission was to research this Pacific garbage um, gyre and find out what kinds of plastics are in the gyre and how it gets there and what they
3: can do about it. So, if it's so far away, how does that impact like any countries? So
2: it impacts every human being on the planet, actually. And researchers have found that because of bioaccumulation, um, which is basically the, the plastics break down because of the, the heat of the sun, exposure, the waves, um, and then they form microplastics. Um, marine life, like fish, eat these mic- pieces of microplastics. And then a predator will eat the fish. Humans will consume... Know, the larger fish and then um we're basically uh, consuming those chemicals so i read so, and like just for the record this is the stuff that keeps me up at night and it's real they it say is. they say every human being on the planet probably has um biphenyl bis- bisphenol i'm probably saying it incorrectly it's 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 the chemical that is um, released by these plastics that we all have it in our blood so disgusting! It's unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, it's it is unbelievable. It's really disturbing. And then um, the effects on the economy. The UN they did a report um, just on environmental damage caused by plastics and you know marine ecosystems, and they found that um, it represents thirteen billion dollars U.S. dollars, and you know, and that includes beach cleanups, financial loss to fisheries. So this is a, a huge economic impact on the world as well as an environmental impact. So it's, it's really something every human being should be disgusted and concerned by.
1: And what's striking, if you think about it, plastic water bottles, really, what are we at? Maybe 20, 25 years that they've really been in consciousness and, and obviously in the past 20 years really booming in terms of their popularity and their use. You know, I don't think if in 1990 even you heard the term bottled water, if you did, you you imagined a high end bottled glass, you know, at some high end restaurant where now it's a part of everyday life. There's not a day or a moment you're not on a train or. A you know in line at a store where somebody does not have these plastic bottles and so you can only imagine what what's striking to me is how quickly this has happened it's not like this is decades and decades and decades of accumulation this is really probably 20 years worth of accumulation that Whoa. is now the size of texas that's yeah insanity 20 years
2: of accumulation for um a substance that will never go away well and that to me is the most upsetting part like brian when you were
0: talking one thing i thought about is like if you think back to like earth day in like the early 90s and mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Would give you stats about like it takes you know 20 years for a disposable diaper to break down in a garbage dump well now what the science is suggesting is that it really never breaks down it's just becoming particles that you can't see but it's within all of our bodies so i think that that's the data that should be most upsetting to everyone out there is that you know you thought this would go away it's not going away Mm -hmm. so it's really time to change habits but what do we do to solve the problem? And I think that that's the point we're at, is like mitigating the damage and also figuring out a path forward, hopefully.
2: Talking about mitigating the damage, you know, there's the the quote, one person can truly change the world. And in this case, there's an individual, his name is Boyan Slot. He's Dutch, and he really is changing the world. So we're talking about doom and gloom with, you know, plastics and plastics pollution, um, which, as a side note, I think it's important to... Um, to recognize you know even on the cover of National Geographic there's a quote from Sylvia Earle she's the National Geographic explorer in residence and she says plastics aren't inherently bad it's what we do or don't do with them that counts so mm-hmm. I think that's an important side note that I mean you know there's a lot of amazing things plastics do in in, in, in human life and absolutely um, with technology so it's, we're not saying it's a bad thing it's just what we're, what we're doing with it and how we're being responsible with it.
1: Um, and I think, too, it comes down to the knowledge, and I think that we're, we're p- being presented with some very disturbing and striking facts about these plastics, and I think the common perception people have of plastics, you, you think of plastic bags, plastic bottles, things basically that are easily thrown away, But and this research about the bottles and, and these microplastics, as I was doing some research preparing for this podcast, was the idea of the you know we're in a culture where there is a popularity in a positive way of reusable shopping bags, but you know, needless to say, day in and day out, all around the world, um, paper, but more da- in a more damaging sense, these blue plastic shopping bags are part of everyday life, and much like those bottles, as I was reading about, how more and more cities are placing. Uh, five to ten cent plus taxes, quote-unquote taxes, on if you use paper or plastic at the grocery store and not choosing to bring your own bag. The idea, though, you know, there's these places that collect the bags and, um, you know, again, quote-unquote recycle them. But, again, they said it comes down to the the microplastics that these bags that very quickly break down. You know, and you see every day people throwing them away, using them when they're walking their pets. You know, they're just such an invasive part of our our culture, you know, again, just I would say in the past, you know, nearly thirty years, those bags have you know come into consciousness. As somebody who grew up in the eighties, it, it was always paper bags, you know, which are obviously having their resurgence again. Um, but yeah, there's there was really kind of that quick rise. There was that very quick and damaging rise of the the blue plastic grocery bag. Hmm. Yes, moments of plastic interaction we have but even you're hearing a lot about these facial scrubs that have those microbeads and how damaging those little tiny microbeads are when they you you think oh they just wash down the drain but they have these lasting effects and they're causing incredible damage to the not only to the water systems but just the ecosystem itself because again they do not break down mm. so i know you know being a podcast you can't see our faces right now but we are all we all look pretty <laughs> horrified and, and disgusted uh you know john in, in my mind i i'm a, imagining this desolate you know as you're saying five-day journey to this uh, quote-unquote island of, of garbage so is it an actual surface? Is it the solid mass that one could walk on if they were to make this journey to this awful place? <laughs> yeah,
2: I think the the term garbage island, I think that's a little misleading. It's When they go out there, it's actually more like a garbage soup. It's just this Lovely. floating <laughs> go, goopy, soupy you know, you imagine the, the plastics being broken down over years and yeah, years and years, in years under this hot r- sun. This riptide of... They're just yeah. pulling it up and it's just this gooey Some of it is gooey, disgusting, just... So it's
1: like a garbage, a nice garbage reduction. (laughs) 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 That's what you're saying.
0: Well, and what's scary about that is like, as we were as we were saying, like, it really is breaking down and getting into the water systems. And it gives you an idea of, like, what that looks like in the process. It, and
1: now it makes more sense to me how it is affecting everyone because, yeah, I guess I was thinking of it it almost as a positive thing if it was more like an island because it's, right. it, it's almost like it's all being harnessed. But the fact that it is the swirling, yeah, uh, you know, like we said, reduction of, of these materials, you see how easily that they are dispersed to – the the sea life and the water systems and, and therefore affecting the world
2: we knew it was out there researchers knew it was out there um, reporters knew but nobody really knew the extent of it and so there's this uh, organization it's called the ocean cleanup foundation and a little backstory um, and just on this note you know how one person can really change the world um, so boy slot, he was 16 he went scuba diving in Greece, and he was really excited. He thought he was going to you know, have this magical experience and see fish. And he was really disappointed and distraught because he saw more plastic than fish. So he goes back home, and he decides, I'm going to devote my high school project on researching why this is and why nobody's doing anything about it. Two years later, he, f- he founds this organization, the Ocean Cleanup. He is also uh, an aerospace engineering student dropout. Um, I mean, he's a genius, and he basically invented the system. It uses 30 boats and 652 surface nets, and he used two airplanes. And they took all these samples, and they found everything from, you know, plastic bins to tiny, tiny, in these tiny pieces of microplastics. They collected all the plastic, and scientists separated each piece of plastic in this garbage patch there's enough 250 pieces of debris for each human being on the planet is in this pacific garbage gyre yeah so anyway they took um, this report uh, they used the research and it was recently published in um, the journal called scientific reports and it just came out this past March and so now this organization is um, it's their mission to clean up the garbage patch and they're using this system where it's basically a barrier that kind of acts like the plastic itself collects all the, the trash there. They want to clean up 50% uh, of the garbage patch within the next five years. So and basically this guy in this organization should be like our hero. Basically, yeah. He's like the ocean's Superman. Try
1: it. pick it up.
2: I think they set sail. They said in quarter two, so it's like any day now. They're setting sail from Alameda, California, and they're going. They're taking this this system to clean up. Um, and he predicts in the next 20, 25 years that the ocean will be virtually clean. That's yeah. incredible. So it's incredible. Yeah. Something
0: to feel optimistic about. As we talked about, that you know helps to mitigate. But the the other issue is how do we change behaviors? And I think that that's something that a lot of people are trying to figure out, um, and, you know, both, you know, on a personal level as well as a societal level. So I'm sure lots of thoughts on how that could be done. We'd love to hear from you if you're listening um, about, you know, things that you've come across, seen, things that you're putting to action into action in your own communities. Um, you know, certainly we see a lot of different things around the Cleveland area. Hopefully um, this inspires you to maybe do something uh, on a personal level. over the last 10 years give or take we've seen this need for customers to have immediate gratification and i think that's driven a disposable culture when it comes to retail Um, i know alexis has been looking into this around specific sectors what have you come across what are some of the things that are surprising or interesting to you as you've done your research
3: from a neurological standpoint shopping is a complex process In 2007, some researchers from Stanford, MIT, and Carnegie Mellon, they looked at the brains of certain test subjects when out buying clothes, and they found that the part of the brain that reacts to pleasure um, lit up whenever they were looking at something they wanted to buy, Mm. and then the pain part of the brain immediately reacted when it saw the price. And the recent surge of fast fashion has really escalated that because the pain part doesn't light up as much since the clothing is so cheap.
2: Hmm.
0: So it just kind of perpetuates this cycle of people continuing to shop at these stores that are producing in mass cheaper materials and whatnot.
4: So, Alexis, could you define fast fashion?
3: It is essentially clothing that's designed to be replaced quickly, not so much by want, but by need. The clothes literally fall apart after a couple of uses. And they usually end up in landfills. And even if they do make it to a consignment shop, most of the clothing there doesn't get bought. Only about 10% of donated clothes get resold. The rest just ends up in landfills.
2: And these garments also are made with microfibers. And I didn't realize, I just read this morning, actually, that every time you wash a garment, these microfibers, they... um, kind of disintegrate, fall off of the garment, and then they end up going down the drain into the storm drain into the ocean, and again, it kind of comes around to the garbage patch. Fish eat the microfibers, and we eat the fish.
4: And from an economic standpoint, these retailers that sell fast fashion, they're actually negatively affecting our economy because they are buying products that are lower quality, and then the labor that creates those products Are paid less for the work that they do.
3: Sometimes they aren't even paid at all. Zara recently had a scandal where people were finding labels sewn into the clothes that said, I made this product that you're about to buy and I did not get paid for it.
0: So fast fashion really isn't helping anyone other than people that need a quick fix.
1: Absolutely. And you know, you do hear that so often are people saying, oh, I'm just going to go to Zara or I'm just going to go To H&M and get something, you know, it's so cheap and it's only going to, I only need it for a couple months or for the summer. So do you think that there is going to be or that there is a reaction from those higher end labels, those labels that are made with more sustainability and more quality product and even locally, you know, made in, in the USA? reacting to these fast fashion houses like is there a swing back going to happen or
0: I really hope so I mean you know as anyone who lives, who's listened to this podcast knows I mean I used to work in luxury retail and I you know I, I think that there's something to quality I think there's something to um, craftsmanship but I also think there's something um, more healthful you know for our planet and for our bodies and ourselves about you know purchasing goods that were made in an ethical way um you know it also obviously sustains um economies and and people around the world more than anything it has to be driven by customers every dollar you spend is a vote for more of that thing so unless people start to to change their shopping habits particularly when it comes to apparel I don't think that there's going to be a major shift. Now you see that you've seen that more over the last ten years with you know brands that are made in the USA or trying to buy local, get a better sense of where your goods are coming from. So yeah, I, I think that there's more, um, and you read about it with you know with data trends, you know with millennials and Gen Z and wanting to hold brands accountable for how they're manufacturing, how they're producing goods, how they treat their employees, things like that. So I'm hopeful that because of what matters to some of these younger generations, you will see brands start to change their habits, and you will see customers kind of come to terms with the fact that if they want things to be produced in a way that they feel good about, they're also going to have to open their wallets a little bit more or buy less. Um, and buy for quality rather than
1: quantity quantity and i think too it's it is it's such a study in in psychology it is as alexis you were saying those brain receptors that you know it's that quick fix of oh this is inexpensive and i could get more and more often but yeah if you were to track you know what you're spending at these places and the fact that you really don't have the goods to you back up those purchases because they don't last for very long you realize at the end of the day you're not saving any money in fact you're spending even more than you would be for the quality items that are going to be in your closet you know at Minnow, we actually have a client that is a personal stylist and that is the main thing she says all the time is quality over quantity
0: absolutely and building a wardrobe that and build, you can and building continue to build on year after year
1: I, I think too one of the strange habits of, of the, that style of store too, is you don't even know what you're on the hunt for. It's really this idea of, you know, there's a randomness to it. You know, like, what do I need? I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go in here and find out. So that's another negative part of this disposable quick retail is, you know, it's, you know, even just when you're in these aisles, you know, there we all know that stores are set up in a very psychological way, you know, the, with a whole idea of like when you're in line, um, impulse buys and so I, I almost think some of the approach of these discount stores there's a predatory nature to it of you know this is what you need and once you've decided you know and been in a sense coerced into that you're in line and then there's even further temptation so it's this whole cycle which I think is fascinating between the psychology and the uh, morality.
3: So even big retailers that have a decent reputation for quality aren't completely transparent For instance, if you go into a TJ Maxx to buy something Calvin Klein, you think this is such a good deal. Like it came from Calvin Klein and they just discounted it because it didn't sell in the big store. But despite that common belief, outlet clothing and discount store clothing has never been in a regular store and it wasn't even produced in the regular factory. They outsource it to a much worse manufacturer. So when you think you're getting a good brand with good quality, you really aren't.
1: That is what's just absolutely, again, plays into what I was just talking about, that whole, in a sense, almost mind game morality that a lot of these fast fashion or these discount retailers are constantly using as a sales device where it's actually quite deceptive. I also think the way that these items are being consumed and purchased, there is the sense of immediacy. Like, I'm going to go to this place where I could get a frying pan and a shirt and you know a bag of chips at the same time mm-hmm. and i do think that it, that leads to a reduction of quality once again a quality and that longevity that these products are going to have and it does have an impact on not only us as consumers but on the economy and the whole state of the re- of retail itself
0: I think about this a lot because you, you know, and and I think we've touched on this on the podcast as well, but there is this whole culture of busyness and people are like, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I need to get it all done in one-stop shop. And, you know, I I wonder if that will start to swing around. You know, how much will people really be willing to make space in their life to be surrounded by objects that are better for them?
4: That
1: are better for them and to invest the time in their lives to seek these items out. You know, Mm -hmm. not you know, give some meaning to it. You know, give meaning to the pursuit of these quality and meaningful objects, articles of clothing, food, whatever it is. That I, I do think that that is, it's a really almost, uh, you know, we always talk about, you know, that the, 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 l- the loss of art of many things, the, l- the lost art of travel, the, the loss of reverence to everyday activities. And, and you know, these retailers have perpetuated this in out all done in in 10 minutes back when sex
0: in the city came out i remember there was an episode where carrie says shopping is my cardio mm-hmm. and i feel like you know that is that is so how i mean i think about it you know i like being out and about i like taking the time to to go and look and and browse and you know the the whole kind of move And mass to online shopping is a bit of a heartbreak for me.
2: Correct. um, Because
0: I just feel like you're losing not just the experience, but also just like a sense of humanity. Like there's something nice about interacting with somebody in a store that really knows the product and getting that quality experience to accompany your quality
2: goods. I think it's also, it speaks to um, how we're such a connected world. And because of that, we're more exposed to variety. And because of that, I think it shows up in our behavior, in our shopping, where you go to, you know, a retail. You go to a store, and you want variety. You see, you know, oh, the, the these tops are influenced by South American culture, and oh, I don't have anything like that. Oh, and it's ten dollars. Then you go to the next corner. This one looks like, you know, it's it's made of. Asian fabric and it looks like a cheap how and I, I want that blouse and oh my gosh that one's $15 I feel like it just feeds into I mean variety is the spice of life but I think the downfall of that also too is many choices. too many choices yeah that's what it comes down to and I always wonder you know it's very difficult to change behavior you have to be motivated internally how do you we as a society and just as human beings how do we curb that I mean it's it is very exciting when you're shopping and you go into you know Zara, forever 21 or any one of these target even and you really don't need that you know fill in the blank
0: but you know it's going to give you that gratification exactly how
2: how, so how do you curb that and it kind of brings me back to what we do as storytellers and you think about you know campaigns like I think about in the 80s the whole made in the USA campaign Right, and that was that was a really big deal to get people to, to buy domestic and and not foreign. Like at the time, I think it was everything was made in Taiwan, right, and that was mm-hmm. the joke. Um, now it's everything's made in China, Bangladesh, you know, especially when you're talking about fast fashion. Um, y- you think about. Also, the narrative of it's possibly a a child who's made that blouse that you're wearing.
0: One thing that I've thought a lot about is because I I am a person that I I don't shop at places like Zara and Forever 21. I'm not saying I've never shopped there, but at this point in my life, I don't shop there. I think about um, the places I do shop and I think about what I buy and how many times, especially with clothes, how many times I wear that thing and you know if you were to kind of look at the economics of it as a cost per, per wear um, and I almost wonder, and I'd have to do some research on this, like if there's an app out there that does that and sort of demonstrates, you know, everyone talks about big data. Mm-hmm. Well, what about big data as it pertains to your life and your shopping decisions? And what can we learn about ourselves? Almost like the Fitbit of fashion. Um, what can we learn about ourselves based on usage? Mm-hmm. And I think if people were really to break it down and say, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm not going to buy that pair of pants, you know, at a, at a disposable kind of uh, fashion type retailer i'm going to spend more money on a pair of pants that's of quality i'm going to have them tailored properly they're going to look like a million bucks every time i put them on and i'm going to wear them for the next five years you know what does that really do when you look at value and economics and i think that really money talks i mean we talk about this with our clients all the time um you know if you can demonstrate value, obviously, plus cost, you're going to win. Um, and, and that's what I think the, especially the luxury retail market, I think that's really, um, you know, something they haven't been able to demonstrate. Um, it's been all about want um, and, uh, and trend. And I think that really there isn't any economic play to be
4: made there for sure. So adding to that, the idea of the, the economics behind this, if, if we think about the modern life and how rapid the pace is, everyone talks about how they're so busy all the time and and work is dominating their lives. This seems arbitrary, but I do think it's connected. The fact that fast fashion is speeding up the supply chain, which is connected internationally. Now that it's global marketplace. So by buying more clothes, we're forcing the farmers to create more cotton, which is forcing the, the manufacturers to create more clothes and then the logistics companies need to get this product across the world. It's it's increasing that that supply chain rate to a level that is forcing all of us to work harder. So mm-hmm. I think that's part of the story too. Earlier, Jen was talking about wh- what is the story behind this? The the negative aspect is the that's the message that people connect with, that it's having negative impact on our environment. But then there's the fact that it's actually pushing us to work harder because the supply chain The interconnectedness of the global marketplace is forcing us to behave in a different way. what's
0: so ironic about that is rather than fixing the root problem you have all of these organizations and initiatives out there that are aimed at mindfulness and how to be more happy and things like that and i just wonder when are we going to get to this place that the pace of life becomes so frenetic and weighty for people that they're going to realize that maybe you know maybe we do need to take a step back and think about how we consume how we work how we live and maybe think about what's important to them and change habits. I, I almost feel like we're getting to a breaking point, to be honest, just looking at what's happening in society.
2: It makes me think about um, the image that comes to mind as a hamster on a wheel and just we're Absolutely. just going around and around. And, you know, you think about um, convenience. Yeah. Fast fashion, plastics. It makes our life more convenient. But in the end, like how you were saying, I mean, it does it really? Because. Um, you think about cost-benefit with fast fashion. You think about uh, people out cleaning up the beaches. I mean, that's laborious. So really, yeah, emotionally, you, absolutely, you know, tiring. Absolutely.
4: Okay, okay. I've waited long enough, and now the time has come. Oscar, what are you doing anyway? What does it look like I'm doing, Bob? Well, it looks like you're, you know, making a mess. I'm you're... getting ready to sing my song, so I'm throwing out all my trash onto the sidewalk. Isn't it beautiful? Well, I wouldn't say it's exactly beautiful, Oscar. Well, I would. Just look at it all. What a beautiful junky mess of rotten, rusty, mangy, musty, crummy, beautiful trash.
2: My bigger boat goes out to the state of California. Shout out to my home state. So talking about the garbage patch, and California's always been on the forefront of progressive politics when it comes to the environment. And um, they're the first state to ban single-use plastic grocery bags, which is kind of cool. When we're talking about just changing behavior, everybody, I think, really had to get used to the fact that, oh, I have to pay five or ten cents um, for my grocery bag, for the plastic grocery bag. But now, I mean, when I go back every summer, everybody's bringing their bags to the grocery store. So that's kind of cool. Nobody even talks about it anymore. They have six bills that the legislature is considering. And they're everything from banning plastic straws to including notices on labels, um, for garments that have more than 50% synthetic fibers, plastic bottle caps, um, the law would require that single-use plastic bottle caps that they'd have to be permanently attached to the bottle. That's kind of cool. And then food packaging, they would require all containers to be recyclable. And they would ban smoking on state beaches. And the last bill would be banning the sale of cigarettes with single-use filters. So yeah, go California. And other states usually follow suit. I, I Someone was saying that Ohio is actually uh, thinking of legislation um, to ban plastic single-use grocery bags as well
1: and actually Cuyahoga County is has um, done research on the tax that we spoke about earlier on both paper and plastic so right here in our own hometown
0: My Bigger Boat goes out to an organization that's based here in Cleveland called Rust Belt Riders. They're doing work to not just educate people on composting and reducing their um, footprint, uh, but they also come and collect compost for businesses and help you to um, reduce the amount of trash that you as a business are putting into landfills. So shout out to them. I think they're fabulous and I'm happy to have
2: them in town.
1: My bigger boat goes out to a retailer who, you know, I think as we were saying the past few decades now, the trend has really been about um, reduce, reuse, recycle, or, you know, a a retailer might be using a, what looks like a paper bag, but at the same time, it's still completely printed with inks. And, you know, it's, so there's really a lot of miming going on in, in terms of retail and, um, using the trend of sustainability to um, appear to be conscious where at at the end of the day it really is that just a a costume or a statement that they're making to be um, not only on trend but to seem responsible but I you know some of the research I've done on a company which is Lush Cosmetics which some people may be familiar with but they are truly an international company who doesn't only talk the talk; they truly walk the walk. From their products being handmade by employees, sometimes on site, to their use of um, all of their furniture and their, the propping in their stores are produced from trees that were ecologically sourced from Vancouver. Um, to their the signage in their store is all handwritten. By employees in the store. Um, same with their packaging is they have a whole program where once you collect five of what they call their pots, where their product comes in, you bring it in, you get a free face mask in return. So they really encourage that, you know, on-site recycling. Uh, so a lot of this you know, re- reduces the use of, of store signage and the waste involved in that and, and the way things are produced and labeled and whatnot. So And then on top of that, they have a great product. So I, I really think that they're a company that stands out as somebody who believes in the mission of what they're doing and not just using it at, for a, um, no pun intended cosmetic reasons to, to look good to the public. But they're actually engaging and, and making an effort in terms of the way that they handle and their business and and the impact that their business has on the world
3: my bigger boat goes out to fashion revolution which is a global movement made up by people who are part of the fashion industry and their mission is to unite people and organizations to work together towards changing the way clothes are sourced produced and consumed so that clothing is made in a safe clean and fair way
4: this episode my bigger boat goes out to one of our clients will friedman the president and CEO of the Port of Cleveland, who will be speaking at the Green Marine Green Tech 2018 conference. He gets a shout out because in addition to speaking at the conference, it will be announced that he will be installed as the board chairman of Green Marine. Green Marine is a voluntary environmental certification program for the North American marine industry. It is a rigorous initiative that addresses key environmental issues through performance indicators. This episode of Open Swim is in support of our friends at the Port of Cleveland, the only local government agency whose sole mission is to spur job creation and economic vitality in Cuyahoga County. The Port of Cleveland is the international transportation hub for America's heartland. It is important for Cleveland and exported to the world. Also, they are celebrating their 50th anniversary. Learn more at portofcleveland.com.
0: Open Swim is brought to you by Shark and Minnow, on the web at sharkandminnow.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Shark and Minnow. Technical support and audio production by Eugene Bueller. HR Oversight by Marsha Ciccone. Fashion policing by Felicia Winfrey.